0: That. Before we sit, let's uh, recite. We confess our faith, uh, our sins. We also confess our faith. We'll do that today through the Apostles' Creed, something that the saints have done throughout the ages. So I ask you, Christian, to repeat with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be together. We'll come and pray. Uh, next week is Fourth of July, uh, and uh, so we will have church on the Fourth of July, which is kind of which is kind of cool. And um, it, unless you're tempted to not show up because of your great Fourth uh, of July festivities, we have the privilege of hearing from Michael Knapp, which is great. Uh, it's been a couple; he, he's preached several times here. It's been some of my highlights of my. Uh, Services I've enjoyed him. I always appreciate Michael when he preaches. And so when you're tempted to go to the pool party and fireworks, you say, oh, yeah, let's be with God's people and hear Michael Knapp preach. And so it's my encouragement to come back. Do pray for us this week. Uh, the Alford's, as well as us, uh, Katie and I, will be in St. Louis for our general assembly. Uh, pray the Lord blesses that time together. Uh, let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Lord, we do ask that you would meet us here. Uh, you say that you, uh, you feed us through your Word, that we need uh, repeated, like uh, often, we need to hear the Word. We need it uh, daily, devotionally. We need it from friends, encouraging, and we need it uh, sort of formally as the people of God to be proclaimed and be announced and say, yes, this is what we believe, and to be challenged and to be healed, um, to be encouraged, to be comforted, uh, to be be all of those things. And we don't know how that happens, and we can't make that happen, but you use your word in a powerful way. So we would pray that you would do that this evening. Um, pray for those that are not here, those that are traveling, maybe those that are sick, um, those that weren't able to be with us. Lord, we pray for them. As we know, there are many away. We ask your blessing upon them. We do pray for the, 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 our denomination and the, the, the General Assembly this week, that you would bless it and keep uh, those that are there to be faithful to the word, to be passionate about the great commission, would you make that true of us as a church, as a denomination, and would you make us a church that, um, as we think about us and our small tribe that we are kingdom-minded, help us to partner well, to love our city, to think about ways to reach outside these walls and connect with other believers, to build unity in the body, uh, to do ministry among those who uh, who we want to hear the gospel, who need to hear the gospel. May we share it uh, as beggars who have found bread to another beggar, Lord. Pray you'd make us that type of church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, One more time, if you don't mind standing. We'll do this in honor of God's word. We're in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. Paul says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but He is under guardians and managers until the date set by His Father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe seated. be seated. Um, some of you may be old enough to know the name Patty Hearst. She was uh, a famous name in the 1970s. She was uh, part of one of the most infamous kidnapping cases uh, in American history. She was in Berkeley, California. She was the granddaughter of a famous... Uh, What was he? He was a a publicist, um, William Randolph Hearst. She was 19. She was in her home or apartment in Berkeley, California, and she was abducted. She was kidnapped, and she was beaten and uh, abused and mistreated and held captive. Uh, uh, The the group that took her was a a, a sort of a domestic terrorist organization in Northern California, and, and they wanted to wage war against the country. They had their own ideals, and so they took her as leverage, both politically and financially, also to make a name for themselves. They were called the simonese Liberation Army, the SLA. Tragic situation. Um, her news was, was all over the headlines, it was, it was everywhere people searching and looking for her. And so she was kidnapped in February of 1974, but something happened in a twist in April of 74. So two months later, uh, Patty Hearst joined with her abductors. She announced her intentions to be a revolutionary. She was no longer a captive. She has chosen to align with those that have taken her captive and she began, she was even part of a robbery heist. She played a role in that. She, uh, one of the key leaders was killed when there was a, a, a police shootout with the Los Angeles police. And she, she stayed with the group and traveled across, across country making awareness of this group. Finally, in the next year, September of 75, she was caught in San Francisco, charged with robbery, and sentenced to seven years in prison. What? In the world happened from being abducted by strangers, um, beaten, mistreated, uh, imprisoned, to joining with the captors, to then participating in their acts and promoting their message in the world. What happened? Some of you have probably heard this. We could uh, ask maybe our counseling friends. It's called uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, It came after a famous bank uh, robbery in Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, just a few years before. Certainly the phenomenon has happened other times in history, but it finally got a name. Um, It's when uh, a, a bond... Between a captive uh, and a captor are forged. It's a trauma bond. Something traumatic has happened, and in that bond, there's an attachment. Though they're hurting you and blame, and, and, and harming you, you side with them. A deep connection is formed. And often, the, the victim copes with the difficulty of being imprisoned and being bound by forming an allegiance with those that are harming them. There's this... Is, Sick, psychological thing. And this is true. We have know this through history. There are often times where people have been abducted or maybe a crime has happened against them. And they have sided or been sympathetic with those that have done harm to them. In some ways, there's connection here with abuse and how it works. Um, often failing to testify in court against them. Saying they were treated well when they were marks and signs that they weren't treated Well. The victim is free from captivity and imprisonment, but they would prefer the harsh treatment to being free. Sometimes those who are released have gone back and formed romantic relationships with those who held them captive and abused them. Crazy, right? Phenomenon Stockholm Syndrome. Um, it is incredible, but not all that different for us, right? <laughs> As children of God. We we know freedom, we experience freedom, we've been liberated from bondage, from captivity, from oppression, from evil, from darkness. We're freed, we're sons, we're daughters, we're liberated in Christ, and yet we often what? We choose to walk back. There's a bond with our former way of life, and we choose to walk back and to live under the oppressive nature of sin, of slavery, of bondage. We identify more with the system of the world than the sonship we have in Christ. One of the other stories I read, the, the lady said, uh, there were four men that kidnapped her, and she said later, the, the only four people in the world that understand me were my captives. Incredible. There's an identification with the way of the world. Paul here is pressing on this idea of adoption of adoption, of moving from uh, being slaves or enemies of God to being sons and daughters of God. And the temptation as we come into that is that we often are drawn, we're lured to move back and to live as slaves. So we're going to talk about adoption today and why we're not to turn back to the former way of life. We'll look at it. Uh, The passage kind of lays it out kind of in three phases so we'll kind of look at it as we go through the passage. First, we're uh, sons living as slaves, living like a slave. Look at verses 1 to 3. It's a little confusing. Paul says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. It's up there. Um, Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We'll get to that, elementary principles, what is that? But Paul compares heirs of Christ, when, we're, when they're children, young, younger as slaves, because they can't experience the fullness of the inheritance of the estate that's to be given. Here it says, uh, the child is uh, owner of everything, a better be Lord of all. He will one day be master of all the estate, but yet now he's under guardians and tutors or managers until that day. And in the ancient world, there was a real rite of passage until a coming to own your inheritance. That's why uh, in the, uh, uh, the parable of the two sons, the prodigal son, right, when he comes and asks his inheritance early, it's, it's not time. So the father was gracious to give it to him, right? So that's a, it's an offense in that culture, but uh, t- children would be under a guardian, they'd be watched until age 14, closely, cared for, often treated cruelly and harshly. And then from 14 to probably around 25, they would be under managers or trustees. They would have more freedom, but they still didn't have the inheritance. They weren't given it yet. It wasn't until 25 when they could experience complete inde- independent control of the estate that was to be given to them. So they were, they were children, they were heirs, but they were actually living and acting in a place of slavery until the time had come. What is the comparison here Paul is making in Galatians? What is he saying? It seems like there's two interpretive issues because this phrase, the elementary principles of the world, uh, seems difficult. Um, He's been talking about, one is thinking about the, the, the Gentile world, I mean the Jewish world, right? We're talking about the Judaizers. Remember the Judaizers? They've been saying you've got to add to the law. So it seems like there's an association here with the law, who we've already said was last week was a guardian. It imprisoned us. And so here, the, guard, the law is related to the elementary principles. That's one interpretation. The law has its uh, requirements, and the Pharisees and others made the law the end. The law was the, the graduate school. It was the, the, the total thing. You've got to understand the law. They came up with different ways in exacting the law. They added laws upon laws that you had to jump through in hoops that you could be right with God. And that's what, that's what Paul confronts Peter. Don't add to the gospel of free grace by adding more laws like circumcision. It's all of grace. Paul could be saying here, um, the, actually, the law is just the elementary school, right? It, it's the basics, it's the stepping stones. It's, it's, it's K through five, you know, six, whatever, elementary, K through five. It's the foundational things that actually get us to the more mature things, which is the grace of the Lord Jesus. The law is not the end, it's a, it's a building block. It's pointing us to something so much more mature. And that is the gospel. And that way, if we're stuck only in law, we know what we said last week, right? What does the law do? The law beats us up. The law condemns us. The goal of the law is to take us to Christ. So as a child, don't be stuck in childish ways, relying on the law to get you to God. You won't get there. You'll be living like a slave. Let the law take you to Christ, to maturity, to grace. Another interpretation is that he is speaking to Gentiles, right? We're in Galatia. He's addressing Judaizers and their false teaching, but he's speaking to Gentiles. And so in the Gentile world, often the basic elements of the world, like earth, wind, fire, right, water, those things were often deified and worshipped. You can think of it today maybe in sort of a new age way where we, we might worship the nature or creation, right? There's sort of being at one with nature, which nature is a beautiful thing. Creation is a beautiful thing. But what's the goal of Creation. What's the goal of the basic elements of life? What's the goal of the sun? When it rises, it's to say, wow, how good God must be, right? It's, a, it's immature to only see creation as the end game, right? We're to, we're to appreciate it, and it's to point us to more. So whether you're speaking of a, of a Greek audience or a Jewish audience, one related to the law, or one related to what we've made of the world, a system of the world, either way, we need to mature Either view, eventually God's people need to grow up as sons and daughters. We're no better than slaves when we are bound by the elementary principles. If we're trying to live by the law, if we're trying to find something else to give us life and meaning in the world and creation other than Jesus, it's fallen too short. Let us not focus on the law or nature. Let us focus on Christ Without coming of age in Christ, we don't get to inherit the promises that are ours. We're no better than slaves. We could have the inheritance if we grow into awareness of Christ and we move away from slavery of the world. That's what he's saying. We can be uh, sons but live like slaves. What does it mean to maturity? What does it mean to receive the inheritance? The second point here. goes in verse 4 and 5 he says we as sons we receive our adoption and this really verse 4 of Galatians 4 is kind of like I mean this there's so much theology there's so much goodness in this verse Uh, it's like the uh, the apex of the gospel condensed in one verse when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What brought God's people from slavery to sonship? It is the death and resurrection of Christ. Theology of adoption. Notice the pieces here. Notice the timing. I put a few things. can't see them all. Notice the timing of our adoption. So a child, he's he's got to wait till 25, but when the fullness of time had come, in God's perfect timing... Like in the ancient world when the father would wait to age 25 for to give the inheritance. Why? The child wasn't ready, right? He might get it at 16. Can you imagine giving a 16-year-old all the money and the power and the wealth? Well, what would they do with it, right? They would squander it. Wait until 25 to his mature to give. God allowed the world and the age and history just the right time God sent forth his son. Jesus would say when he began his ministry in Mark 1, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The exact point in history. John Calvin said this, Jesus came when the time which had been ordained by the providence of God was seasonable and fit. It's a Theologian's way of saying it was the right time. God's specific moment. But it wasn't just the Father's time to send the Son. It was the world's time. You ever thought about, if you know history, what the context Jesus was born in? Um, you, you know, you're in Palestine, you're, you're in Israel. Um, you had Jewish nation, right? Jesus was Jewish. Um, Jewish world, Old Testament. But you had him taken over by Romans, right? The, Romans, the Roman Empire was dominated around the world. Um, but you know, the Romans didn't really speak Latin, and the Jews, at this time weren't primarily speaking Hebrew. What were they speaking? They're speaking Greek, right? Thank you, Alexander the Great. They had taken over the world, right? The, the modern world, Asia, a Minor, Europe, North Africa. there was a common language. It was a common bond. Jew and Gentile. The, the New Testament is in Greek, right? They came together. they shared a common language, a common culture. Thanks to the Roman might, there were roads. Paved, right? Brutally often paved, where there was connection, there was ways to get around, ways that the gospel that couldn't have done it a couple hundred years would be able to be transported and passed along. It was just this moment in history, middle of the world, where Jew and gent, who's guilty of killing Christ? Is it religious people? Yes. Is it the secular people? Yes. It's all of history in one place. In one time, even spiritually, we'll see in Acts the Gentiles were, were making up religions. They were hungry for something. Paul would affirm I, I see you are spiritual people, I see y'all are looking, y'all have so many gods. They were hungry. The Jewish people by this time in first century A.D. uh, were at a time of the second century, of second temple Judaism with the temple being rebuilt but it wasn't quite the same and there was this legalistic nature and Judaism was was searching, was grappling. It, It wasn't solid. You have groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just this time Jesus comes. The Jews are hungry. The Gentiles are hungry. God's timing. Just the right time Notice the nature of the coming. Nature. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Sent forth His Son. What does it mean? It means He's from God. The Son is from God. He's not created. Theology here. The Son is eternal. Second person, the Godhead, forever, eternal, was sent forth. He was God. He was deity. He could represent God, but who was He? He was Born of a woman, he was truly human. Jesus matured in Mary's belly for nine months, right? You know? I mean, he would go through the birth canal and come out and join the world with all that that means, <laughs> right? With all the scene, born a baby, he would cry, beheld. God sent forth. And Jesus, born of a woman. It's amazing. It's a miracle, right? Miracle, all birth is miracle. But God would, would come to earth like us. God didn't stay far off. He didn't theorize. He saw the problem of the world in just the right time. He sent himself in a crude way, born of a woman, it says, to identify, to save. Notice the conditions last word there you can't see it the conditions of his coming he was born under the law we mentioned last week that all humanity is in christ or they're under the law we're we're bound by the law the law says you have to live a certain way you have to live perfect if you don't fulfill the law you have to die death Required obedience. Jesus came no different. He didn't come uh, high and exalted on a throne. He came under the law. Same conditions. He had to obey the Father. He had to keep the law. He went to the synagogue. He kept the feast. He kept the Torah. He did all that was required of him. He kept the commandments. He was under the law. He would obey the law perfectly in every single way. If you look at the next side, finally verse 4, there's the conditions of his coming. There's the purpose of his coming. This is where it's really good. All that stuff. Right time. Uh, right way. God, man, under the law for what purpose? Two of them. To redeem those who were under the law. To redeem is to, to, to buy back a slave or someone that's in bondage. You pay a price. Costly. You pay the price to get them free. We, read, we sang about a ransom right? We paid the ransom. You pay money, and they give you your freedom. The slave master is the law, and Jesus pays the full price of the law. He pays the full price. He completely fulfills it. How does he completely fulfill it? The law said you have to be perfect to fulfill it, Right? So Jesus does it. He lives every way, every thought, every action, every attitude. He fulfills the law. The law says if you don't fulfill it, if you you don't obey, there's a curse. The curse involves death. Well, Jesus fulfilled it, but we didn't. So Jesus fulfills it in the positive sense. He keeps the law. But then he fulfills it in the negative sense. He takes our curse. He becomes a curse for us on the tree. And so we exchange places. We get his law keeping. And he takes our record of sin as a curse for us. That we would be redeemed. That we would be bought back to God. Payment will be made. Galatians 1, 1, 1.4 says this. Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us in the present evil age. If Someone's kidnapped. You say, how much do you want? You know, I want $5 million. They pay it to get this person back. Jesus pays with himself, with his death. It gets better, though. <laughs> he pays it for, he redeems us, but secondly, so that we might receive adoption as sons. It wasn't enough just to pay uh, our penalty. You know, if a, you know, a, a prisoner of war, a POW gets released, you know, maybe the country negotiates with uh, you know, North Korea or, 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 or Iran or something, and we, we get these prisoners back, it's not just that they're free now, they come back and often they're given what? Like the Congressional Medal of Honor. They're esteemed, they're honored, they're celebrated. They're heroes. They're met at the airport and they're, they're welcomed and they're, they're loved. And that's what happens. We, we're not just freed from the penalty of it. We're, we're now adopted as sons and daughters. We get the highest esteem and honor imaginable. God calls us sons and daughters. Can you imagine that? That's amazing. Um, some of you know about adoption. We have friends that have adopted from different countries, some in Africa, some have gone to China. And, and it's amazing. Um, it's amazing the links you go, right? All the paperwork, all the waiting, and then you you, you fly and you're there for two weeks, two months, and, and you, you travel plane and you connection and then you... You get there, and it's a bus, and it's a taxi, and you weigh and you can't. All these links to make that child your own, right? That's what God has done for us. All these links. He has transversed the greatest chasm, heaven and earth, to make us sons and daughters. Gosh, do do you know that? Do you believe that? Does that motivate you? He comes to get us. He comes to get us because we're slaves. We're in bondage, and He makes us our, His own. Notice it says we receive our adoption. It didn't say we do a lot for it. It says we receive it. If you, if you watch the movies, it's always sad, like the adoption movies that, that are, uh, you know, think about like Annie or, or some movie where there's like orphans, you know, orphanage, and, and people come in and they know a, a, you know potential adoptive parents are there, and what do all the orphans do? They, you know They clean up and they put their best outfit on, and they they, they smile and they act like they're well behaved and they clean their little area. They, they, they make themselves like presentable. They're like, maybe they would want me, you know, like maybe I'll be adoptable. But there's like a competing among orphans for like love. It says uh, he he came, he he did it to redeem us, to pay it, so me might receive. Receive adoption. You yeah. know. You know, I think about Josiah. He, Josiah didn't do anything, you know. He just received it. He just received adoption. You, we, you, all of us did a lot. <laughs> but he just received it. He didn't straighten up. He didn't get his act together. He didn't uh, have some moral standard. He just ate and slept and pooped and cried. And, and then we said, we, we want you with us receive it it's grace calls us children there was adoption there's there's paperwork this is it we receive adoption it's illegal judge declares it it's official we belong to God (laughs) so we can live we can be a son but not but live like a slave then we receive this great legal declaration we're adopted we're in the family but there's more Uh, we experience. Sons experience adoption. It it just keeps getting better. And verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. Um, So much of our joy in salvation is about experiencing uh, our adoption. Often Katie will, uh, when I'm in in a, a sour mood, you know, or She'll say, you know, you're not experiencing the joy, you know. You talk about it, you preach it, but you feel burdened. You're not experiencing the joy of the adoption. She didn't use that language, maybe, of adoption. Maybe she does. You're not experiencing the joy of what we have in Christ. Uh, Recently, uh, the the president made Juneteenth uh, a national holiday. June the 19th. uh, 1865 was the day that uh, many of the, the slaves in Texas were made aware of their freedom. They had been uh, emancipated, uh, you know, Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln. It had been legally passed a couple years before, but Texas is uh, pretty far away uh, on the outline, part of the, the Confederacy. Uh, not very many Union troops there, and uh, other reasons I'm sure, but the, the, the slaves didn't get the word. Legally, they were free but they did not get to experience their freedom until almost two years later, that Juneteenth, right, that day they celebrated. They didn't get to experience it. Finally, word came. They were free, and they got to experience the shackles were gone, and life. Legally, it was done, but they hadn't experienced it. This is true of you and I. Legally, we're adopted. We got the paperwork. We know the title, son, daughter, but do we experience the adoption? notice what he says he says uh god 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 wants us to know god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts first it says notice the parallel verse four god sent his son and then right that's objective in history god came he did something we can see it There are eyewitnesses he died uh, resurrection verifiable objective it happened outside of us Objective reality, God sent forth His Son. Verse 5, God sent forth His Spirit in our hearts. Subjective, feel, know, experience. Subjective, our faith is subjective. It's both. The Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's tangible. It's like when we sing that song that moves us in the back, the hairs in the back of your head stand up, right? And you're like, yes, that's it like you knew the same truth a few minutes ago when you were kind of like this, right? But then you like got it, and you, you felt it. There was experience of it. You know, I, My kids know that I love them, but then they experience that when I hug them and kiss them and grab them and wrestle with them. And they know my love. I was watching the, the College World Series. Anybody watching the College World Series? Watching it last night? And, uh, uh, you know, the last inning, uh, Mississippi State scores a walk-off, a, sing, a double, a single in the end. The guy scores from second. And on his way home for the winning run, the game's over, right? Like half the team is jumping over the, out of the dugout. They're throwing water bottles. They tackle the guy. They Gatorade bath. Like, you know, they didn't go in their head like, well, once he crosses the plate, we'll have enough runs to win the game, right? They, they they, they weren't thinking. They like knew it, and their whole body, everything just had, they exploded with excitement and joy. They, they experienced the truth that they had won. They were going to the finals, right? And their experience was just manifest in this joy and excitement. Um, the, the, you know, I, I'm guilty of this. And it does, I'm not just talking about worship, but in life. Um, we should be living with that type of joy, the experience of sonship. This is what he says we get to do with that. How we, one way we do it is we cry out, he says. That's a spirit of, of his son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is a really strong verb. It means like our hearts are rend open and we, we cry out loud. Or we, we, can, we, we pray, we cry, we praise, we, we whatever, but there's emotion. It's passionate one of the litmus tests of our adoption is do we experience the motion of being children of God, sons and daughters? There is no greater theological truth in all of the world that we are sons and daughters of God. Do we live like it? Do we know it? Do we take God, our pain and hurt, crying out? And what do we cry out? Abba, Father. It's, uh, it, it means what you've heard it means. It means daddy or papa, you know. It's, like, it's kind of awkward to say. It's like this very intimate thing, you know? Um, it, it's, the, it's like, you know, it, it's language of a child that, that says, Dada, and he, he, when he says it, he expects daddy to respond. Like, I know dad's going to come and help and do something because he's my dad. And so there's this baby language. And here we're told... When we know we're sons and daughters, we call to God in our life and our struggle with Abba, Daddy. We get to say intimate. Like, we say it. We know he's going to hear us. We know he hears us. We know he's going to respond. Um, so Abba is an Aramaic word. Um, we've, we know that the New Testament is in, is in Greek, right? The Old Testament is mostly in Hebrew. But why, why does Paul use this? We cry out. There are other Greek words for father. Why does he use Abba? An Aramaic word, do you know? He uses it because Jesus used it. Did you know that? Um, when Jesus was in his darkest hour, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was left abandoned by his disciples, when the cross was before him and he knew the torment, it says he was, he was actually, you know, blood was coming out of his body. <laughs> Mark says this, 14. And going a little farther, Jesus fell on the ground and prayed that if it's possible that this hour might pass from him, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will be done. Can you believe that? So you see what just happened? Paul just gave us permission in language to call God the Father the same thing Jesus calls him. Maybe your your spouse, you have like a pet name for each other, you know. Don't tell me, it, it gross me out, right? Your kids are like, oh, right. But like, no one else gets that. That's you. That's your word, right? That's your little pet name. Je- Jesus, we're we're in the family. Like we're, he's our brother, and now we get to talk to the Father the same way Jesus does. That we're in the inner circle. Some of the Greek, uh, Eastern theologians talk about being drawn into the Trinity. We get brought in. We get to call Him Daddy. Gosh. Slaves say Lord, Master, they don't say Daddy. Finally, we've got to wrap up. Uh, Paul finishes uh, this section by affirming the, the, the benefits of sonship. The, the, the experience is fuller by By the inheritance. Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You have the experience of crying out, of of calling him daddy. But you also get the benefits. You get the benefits of sonship. You're you're not a slave. Slaves don't get inheritances. You get the inheritance. You get the fullness of adoption. Jesus gets everything. Everything. And we're, his, we're in his family, we're connected to Jesus, so we get everything. It's a preposterous story, really. It's amazing. We get the inheritance. One final thing. Do, 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 you see, um, do you see who all's involved in this adoption process? Do you see it? You probably, I mean, you saw it. Um, you know, when you adopt, there's social workers, there's... Uh, Adoption agencies, there's birth parents, there's adoptive parents, there's lawyers, there's advocate, advocates, there's uh, often support people praying, and giving, and whatever else. There, there's people helping with meal, there's people helping with all. There's like a whole army, right, making this happen, this adoption happen. Um, it's kind of what happens here. There's three people involved um, it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father uh, sends the Son and the Spirit, verse 4 and 5. So the Father purposes it, He plans it, and then in His timing He sends, you go, Son, you go, Spirit. It's in the heart and mind of God. And the Son, He is God. He comes and enters as Jesus, born of a one, woman, and He accomplishes it. He, he lives the life, He dies to death, he secures it. He redeems us. He makes it legally justified. We can be adopted. We can be come in. The judge says yes, declared righteous. He's done the work. But God goes further and sends the Spirit. And the Spirit comes in our hearts, and He takes the plan of the Father, and He takes the accomplishment of the Son, and He applies it to our hearts. That we know, that we know, that we know. That when we sin and we're, we're struggling with guilt and shame, we know that we have the spirit of Jesus in us overwhelming us with sons and daughters. The whole God. Do you see the links God has gone for us? From all of history, God's purpose that we would be his children. Um. We don't have to live enslaved. That's, that, that's, what's the payoff? What's the application? We don't have to live enslaved. I don't, I don't know what the bondage is, the struggle is, the, whether it's a condemnation of thought or it's a particular sin or it's an attitude of heart or wrestling. Okay, we don't have to live enslaved. We don't, we're not Patty Hearst. We're, not, we, we're, not, we're, we're freed to be sons. We're freed to have the adoption, to experience. We don't have to go back. We're, we're lured back. Sometimes it looks better, but it's bondage. We get to live in the fullness of our adoption. May we experience the goodness of that adoption. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you meet us uh, so so amazingly in so many uh, incredible, incredible ways you show up. You've come for us. You've rescued us. As much as we think we do, we know we do nothing. You come and you secure and you rescue us and you bring us new life. May we know that goodness. May we experience it. May we know the theology, but may it impact our hearts. May we worship from it. May it move us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to uh, hear the word, we come to see the word. The Lord's Supper, every week we have a visible sermon after the sermon, right? It's God's divine object lesson, the sacraments. Um, Interesting about that passage, it has been plural, you. Normally in the New Testament, the you is y'all. The Bible's really southern, it's a good thing. Y'all, y'all are slaves, y'all are sons. But in that last verse, verse 7, it switches to singular. So you, individually, no longer have to live like a slave, but you can live like a son. Interesting, isn't it? I wonder why Paul did that, making it pertinent. It's us no longer have to be slaves. We're sons and daughters. But I want you to know you, insert your name, don't have to live. as a slave. You are a child of God. How are we a child of God? We're a child of God because God has done what we couldn't do. He kept the law. He fulfilled it. He did all that God required, and then he gave himself. And we celebrate that. He gave himself on the cross, dying the death, the curse for us, that we could come and we could eat, and we could drink together as brothers and sisters. It was a night Jesus betrayed. He took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body which has been broken for you. Likewise, he took the cup and he held it up with the disciples. This cup is the new covenant. It's the new relationship. I, I'm your older brother. We have the same father. It's forged in my blood. His blood was the payment, the ransom. Five million, 50 million, right? priceless, incalculable. The blood of Christ shed that we might have life with him. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim together the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this meal. May you bless it to our bodies. Uh, May it nourish us as your people. May it feed us. May we say, yes, we are sons. You know why? Because this bread, uh, it's small, but it tastes good. And and it reminds me that I'm a son and I'm a a daughter. I'm, 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 I'm valuable. And this wine says there's new life in me because of what you've done we lift up our hearts to you would you bless these elements now we ask in Jesus name amen this table is for all those who put their faith in Jesus whether you're a member of this church or not if you've confessed that Jesus is Lord and you trust him and, and you know something of that you are son and daughter then this table is for you come eat and drink if you do not know if you are not sure let's talk let's engage he wants to you to move from slave to son and daughter don't take of the elements but instead by faith receive the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. this time we'll have uh, an elder at each side and then I'll be in the middle you may come with your uh, family, friends, those you feel comfortable with if you would rather take in your seat if you feel more comfortable we have the little combo pack things in the back lobby you can take it your seat uh, there's no judgment there um, you can do that if you feel more comfortable If you want to come forward, you come to one of these three stations and you go outside. There's trash cans on either side and you can come back around um, to your seat. Let us together, let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.